Stay hungry, stay foolish. Today's show has a slightly different slant. Today's guest is an extremely successful business leader and entrepreneur now in his 70s. The basis of today's show is his comprehensive book, Improve Your Odds, The Four Pillars of Business Success, a book specifically written for small business owners, startups, and entrepreneurs. However, I would like to take a slightly different approach to this book. Our guest declined the tranquility of retirement and opted instead to roll the dice. He didn't go for familiar territory, but a brand new burgeoning one, one he refers to in the book as the New Wild West, the area of digital currency. We welcome author of Improving Your Odds, The Four Pillars of Business Success, and founder of digital currency D-Notes Global, Alan Young. It's great to be here. Alan, this book is crammed full of knowledge and scar tissue, as I said to you before we came on air. And I read it in five days, which is not enough for this. This book is more like a handbook, an accompanying guide of how to set up a business of any kind. What I'd like to suggest for today's show is that we do what you suggest in the book and think of the customer first. And for us, that's our listener. So the way we we might run today's show is I suggest we go part one will be digital currency focused, Bitcoin, blockchain, permissioned blockchain, and of course, D-notes. And then we'll overlay the lessons you impart in the books and how to differentiate yourself in a crowded, wild, wild west of a market full of unpredictability, get-rich schemes and predatory speculators. So maybe we'll discuss how you used your business experience and your scar tissue, your vision and leadership strategies to position D-notes, a crypto currency, a digital currency in a chaotic and crowded industry. And this would be really helpful for not just digital currency founders, but for any kind of market disruptor. How do you feel about that approach, Alan? I think that's excellent. How about we start with you? Because I mentioned the scar tissue you have, and as I said to you off air, it's written in blood, sweat, and tears. And it'd be great to give a little bit of context to our listeners about you. You're absolutely correct. The book is being written in such a way that reflects my real business world experience. I feel that it's extremely important that people just be able to feel what I have gone through in many different businesses. And specifically, when it comes to digital currency, I believe that it has world-changing implications, but it also would have a lot of significant competitive advantage if the small businessmen the small business owner, in fact, for that matter, any business owner, manager, or people of significant position in directing where the company is going. What it really amounts to is, I believe that the world is changing quickly to become a single hyper-connected entity as we enter the digital age. Anything, I believe, that can be digitized, will be digitized. Digital currency, in my mind, is a natural progression that started with the emergence of computer, personal computers, wireless communication, and the internet. Digital currency, with its underpinning blockchain technology, will have a lot of positive, world-changing implications. I believe very strongly that this is the generational opportunity. It will be bigger than the internet, resulting in massive job and wealth creation to the business people and anyone in the business world that believe in having a competitive advantage. I believe that this is very important that they learn it and not fear. The technology is actually pretty simple, but understanding the concept is going to be a very important start. It'd be great, Alan, actually. So even if we backed up a little bit, because you give a great overview of why Bitcoin, blockchain, 
and the many cryptocurrencies that have have popped up all over the world why it happened because it all started with the 2008 financial crisis i'd love to get your version of why this nascent industry popped up the main reason that digital currency or bitcoin was created was because we the people who are involved in it is almost certain that the next progression of personal computing would involve the transfer of asset, the use of asset as a form of payment. And of course, it will have to start with the issue of currency. As we all can understand that any fiat currency in any country in the world can be forged. And forgery in fiat currency has been a problem for generations. Of course, the process has become more and more complicated and become harder and harder to forge fiat currency. But it is still happening today and in a big way. The solution for digital currency is actually quite ingenious because digital currency insurance using blockchain so far after thousands of digital currency has been created and hundreds of millions of transactions has taken have taken place there have been no error no single incident that digital currency can be forged it is a copy it is an original copy by itself. Let's understand one basic difference. Let's say if I'm going to pay you with 100 denotes, I must have 100 denotes in my wallet before I can send it. If I do not have 100 denotes, I will not be able to send it. So what it means is you cannot spend more money than you actually have in your wallet. Why is it so significant? If I have a checking account today, I may have $10. And if I can convince you that I can write you a check today for an item that costs $5,000, and I'm able to convince you to trust me, here's a check for $5,000 let me have what I'm buying, but I could run away with it. And that check would bounce. In the case of digital currency, you cannot do that. So they solve a very important problem by using a peer-to-peer distributed ledger system in which the majority of the network must confirm that that is a legitimate transaction and the owner of that wallet has the amount of money in the wallet. Once it's been confirmed and the miner is being rewarded, then that transaction is recorded. Once being recorded and timestamped, that record becomes immutable. And that consent system is ingenious that would allow the creation of money or asset of value and transaction being verified no matter where you send it, anywhere in the world, anytime. Once it's being confirmed and recorded, that record is immutable, which means that it cannot be changed and it cannot be altered. And anyone worldwide can verify that transaction through the blockchain. This is really important, Alan, because we talked about fiat currencies there, and the design flaw in state policies and government in the past has been inflation can take place. And you put it beautifully in the book, you talk about it's a game of musical chairs. So we kick the can down the road, but eventually it's going to come back and bite somebody in the butt, and it bit everyone in the butt particularly the consumer, particularly the masses, in 2008. That is absolutely correct. 
a lot of people would blame our financial system, our governments on. Maybe, but the truth of the matter is, if you look at our political system, they are all almost the same in terms of final result. The politicians are being elected supposedly to represent people, but they're limited to certain term. They would make any kind of promises and their self-interest is to, to protect the best interests of the people who put them in office, who voted for them. Unfortunately, their power is limited. They can promise you anything. They may be hopeful of doing anything, but they would not be able to carry out a long-term vision to truly protect the best interests of the entire nation. So at the end of the day is there would be all kinds of promises being made, but it's mainly for their self-interest for those people who elected them. As we have seen, no matter in which country, in which nation, uh, it would always lead to overspending, to the creation of more and more money out of thin air, to a lot of promises that have been made and never kept. So the only way to pay for all those commitments is to create more and more money. The end result is, that is another taxation of the citizen um, over and above the direct tax. The value of money becomes less and less. And using fractional reserve to allow the financial system to provide a lot of loans for the sake of earning more interest, making more money for the bank and so on, that will further devalue the currency. So the whole thing is, the nation, the citizens, and so on, could have a lot of fun when the musical chair game is going on. But at some point in time, we'll get ourselves in trouble. It will stop. And someone will end up holding the bags. In this particular case, would be the citizen of that particular nation. And we've seen it time and again. When the country overspends eventually someone or the entire country would pay for it, as in the, in the case of Greece, there would be a financial stop and nothing would go on. And people cannot withdraw the money, they could end up losing their life savings. In the case of digital currency, the commanding difference is once the, the currency is being launched, it's being governed by algorithm. It's being limited to the amount that is already being agreed to based on the algorithm that everyone has agreed to, whether it's the maximum amount of digital currency that can be issued or the new currency that's being issued. And the other concept that I would bring up that's Quite simple, but very important for our listener to understand is the concept of a decentralized entity. We are very familiar with the central authority, centralized entity in which there is a party, someone is in charge, the government, the bank. There is always that third party that you have to go through. They can tax you, they can charge you with fees, they can interfere with the transaction or things that you do. They can, in essence, they have the authority to control you. In the case of decentralized entity, there is no central authority. It's always between two parties. When I pay you, I pay you directly. There's no middleman. That transaction does not have to be approved by a central authority, which typically would charge you a fees for doing it. Those are the main differences that we need to know.
and that algorithmic approach means there's no musical chairs, there's no third party that can introduce inflation, and it also stops bubbles. But there's a really important thing I'd love to ask you, Alan, and a way to tee it up is actually a quote from Machiavelli in The Prince on innovation. He says, there is nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, or more uncertain in its success than to take the lead in the introduction of a new order of things, because the innovator has for its enemies all those who have done well under the old conditions and lukewarm defenders in those who may do well under the new. And it reminded me of exactly what's happening in the world of blockchain and digital currencies, because the enemies of this new order of things are the banks and the third parties, because they have to be because they have so much to lose. They have everything to lose. So how do digital currency startups and how does this nascent industry deal with those enemies of the new order? I believe that challenge will continue because digital currency with its underpinning blockchain technology, as I said, is going to allow us for the first time to do a lot of things without the participation or control of the central authority. It is going to be very disruptive in that it will allow us to do a lot of things that our government were used to in controlling us. It would also be very disruptive, especially to the financial services industry the credit card, the banks, the debit cards, and so on. And there will be a lot of pushback. And we have seen it all. We have, well, we haven't seen it all. We have seen a lot of that. Like people like J.P. Morgan Chess, uh, CEO, who call Bitcoin a fraud. No, it's not a fraud. It's something that is fearful that's going to be very disruptive to their banking and financial system, which they were able to extract a lot of fees, a lot of those are definitely legitimate. But on the other hand, it's because we don't have another choice. When there's no option or choices, we basically have to live with it, whether we have to pay a very, very high fees or credit card charges, finance charges, like uh, credit card interest of up to what, 29%? That is almost outrageous. What, did, what is going to happen is because there is going to be a choice that people no longer have to use most of the financial services that, the, that we are accustomed to from the banking system, of course they wouldn't like it. Of course they would push back. But I believe that the best way to do it is like what DNOT has been doing, is to do it very slowly rather than jumping into it and make a lot of claim but cannot deliver. Quite frankly, if you look at our industry right now as a whole, it is it is almost ironic that whatever we try to do to be better than the current banking system, we actually are doing worse. We have a lot more problem. We charge people a lot more. We try to make money very, very quickly, but that's limited to a small group of people. And more people are being hurt today by our industry, then the banking and financial system, we claim that we can replace with a better solution. It really reminds me, Alan, of the fake news issue we're having globally, where there's poison in the well, so therefore nobody trusts the water. So news is riddled with fake news, and therefore nobody knows what to trust. And it's the same as happened here. And the, the irony is, Satoshi Nakamoto built Bitcoin as a kind of a remedy for the lack of trust in financial institutions. But now the industry which he ignited 
is also riddled with trust problems. And you talk about the dramatic rise of Bitcoin drew and attracted a lot of bad actors. And that this poison in the well is a problem for all those actors and denotes your business is a solution and has a solution to deal with that lack of trust. This is quite ironic, in fact. Um, Satoshi Nakamoto, or whatever his name is, nobody knows. Yeah. His vision was to develop a digital cash to replace fiat currency and to be the solution for our world, not just for any single nation, but for the entire world to be able to, to solve the problem of the abusive power of our government, our financial system by overcharging the citizen, no matter which country they are in. Because quite frankly, the banking and financial system are the same. They would make the most money possible. No matter how poor you are, they'll charge you even more if you're poor. It's because your credit rating is not as good. You don't have as, as much of a good track record as the people who are wealthy. They would create money and loan them out mostly to the people who hardly even need the money to begin with. Shatoshi Nakamoto was hopeful that we can minimize all that, maybe replace all that one day. But the irony is that because it is so easy for anyone, any group to launch another new coin, to make a project that would sound to be so impressive. There has been so much money being made very, very quickly, especially by use of the initial coin offering, the ICO, by making a project uh, and raise tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, very quickly, when there is so much money to be made, when things can be so easily manipulated, that, of course, drew in a lot of people, a lot of bad actors. And that, unfortunately, is not what the whole system was intended to be. So when DNOTS was started, I took it a, a very close look and look at what are the real situations, what is this whole thing intended to be, is to replace a system that we have been very concerned about, that is being abusive, especially of people who can hardly afford it and decided that in order to truly carry out the original vision, we have to build a solid foundation of trust. After all, I think we all can agree, trust is invaluable in financial services. Alan, I'd love to ask you about this. You mentioned how banks are now using a stripped down version of blockchain called permissioned blockchain. It'd be great to get an understanding of what that is for our audience. Let me put it this way. The true value of blockchain is actually, as it is, is permissionless, decentralized. The reason that is so important is when it's decentralized, there is no central control. That is the most important value of blockchain because when it's decentralized, you don't need the participation of a third party. Currency are being created for the benefit of everyone, not someone. Through a lot of consultants who charge a lot of money to bank, to financial services, they creatively came up with the concept that, yes, we can also have the immutable record 
which is record that cannot be modified, replaced. Anyone with a permission can verify it. That is not what the intent is. That's not what the ingenious value is. Once it becomes permission blockchain, what it means is they're trying to use a part of the technology which is nothing more than typical database. What they mean by permission blockchain is they use some of the technology, but it's only limited for use for verification for people to look at. If you have the permission, if you're part of the group, that is exactly what we are trying to replace and disturb <laughs> the banking system. Okay. If you have the privilege to be a big banker, you can do whatever you want practically. No, we didn't want that. We came up with permissionless blockchain, the decentralized entity. Everyone is equal. It's fair that anyone worldwide can participate in it. They, they can go to the blockchain and verify it. Why do we need permission? If we need permission, stay with the current system. And what is even more interesting to me is we have heard of different countries that have been looking at it very seriously, that we can also create our own digital currency. From my standpoint, that would be the most risky thing any country can engage themselves in. Alan, there's one thing you said there that I'd love to get your clarification on because it's a thing a lot of people don't understand. And because they're afraid of it or they don't have the information or the knowledge about it, they stay away from it. And it's the idea of the ICO, the initial coin offering. My position about ICO is ICO is actually one of the greatest tools for capital formation. What does that mean? Any company, any new startup, one of the most important ingredients is capital. How do you raise money? How do you raise initial capital to start a company or to expand it? You have to go to a lot of people. Typically, you start a business, you use all the money you got, all your life saving, first in line, that's from you. Second, you go to your friends and family. And then beyond that, you could try the bank, but the bank will spend all the time with you, want you to come up with all the documentation and so on. Eventually, we'll say, we'll take a pass. I've been there. I've done that. Don't even waste time with them. You go to the venture capital people or the VC, one in a hundred may eventually get funded, probably higher in most cases. You have to jump through the hope, develop a business plan, spend a lot of time with them, show them everything, what you like to show them or what you don't like to show them. They will come back and come up with their terms and requirements that you may not like. Again, I've been there. One time I was being asked, you happen to know the golden rule? At that time, honestly, I don't. And they said, he who holds the goal, make the rule, which is very, very unfortunate. So why is ICO or initial con offering such an important tool for raising money, for capital formation? It's because it would allow a company, a project, to raise a lot of money very quickly. Because when you offer a coin, you can have it listed that can be exchanged. So, which means once it is listed, let's say you invested a thousand dollars, you can have an exit strategy to sell a part or all of your investment and recover that money very quickly. That's called the exit strategy. ICO essentially provide the best exit strategy for investor that I've seen. 
what is missing is the regulator have not been able to figure out a solution because right now ICO are all being launched in an unregulated way. Why is that important for the regulator to get a handle of that? It's because they are mandated to provide reasonable consumer protection on their investment. But to me, it is unfortunate that something that simple that could be that helpful as a tool in capital formation, they have not been able to figure out. I think what confused them is they don't realize that ICO or the coins being offered to be used as the token to raise money is out of a decentralized entity. How do you regulate a decentralized entity when no one is in charge, quite frankly? There's no leader. Decentralized entity, by definition, are leaderless. So our regulator have not been able to figure out a way how do you control a decentralized entity? And I do have a recommendation for it. I believe that the way to do it is for the regulator to treat it the same as crowdfunding. In crowdfunding, you do require some documentation, even at the most relaxed level. Who are organizing the group to raise money? How much money are you going to be raising? What is the money for? How is that going to be accounted for? Who are responsible? You can track it down. You can re require just a one page filing if you want to make, make that simple. You want to make it more complicated for a larger amount of money to be raised, then you make it more compl complicated. Just like crowdfunding, there are many different levels. Certain level would require full documentation, including auditing and what have you. Just like a Reg A plus mini IPO tier two, which DNOT is planning to do to raise up to fifty million dollars from accredited and non-accredited investor worldwide. Why is the documentation important? Because if something should go wrong, if someone would raise the money, would scam people and try to run away with it, you know who are the people who are responsible. You know where they live. You know who are behind it. They can easily do something like that and will not now make ICO to be not just the greatest tool for raising money, but also the most amazing tool that itself, if they can make it happen, make it easy enough, it would allow significant amount of money to be raised for legitimate pro project. Because right now, ICO are being used for the most part as a way to scam people by coming up with imaginary pro project or project that are not achievable. It's an idea. I can come up with a lot of ideas, but an idea by itself is worth nothing. Why do you need to raise the account money and have that money being spent and not accounted for? Because as it is right now, when you invest in ICO, you have no idea where the money is going. You do not have any ownership right to the project you only be investing because they said it's an amazing project. You make a hundred times your investment overnight. To me, that is a scam. Why is it that if I'm going to invest money, I don't have any ownership right? I don't have any voting right. I have no right to know where the money is going. What kind of project is it? 
just to add, you are a believer in crowdfunding. You crowdfunded this book. You used Kickstarter just to add that. I mean, so you've gone and again, like is evident throughout this book, you've gone and got the scar tissue, you've gone and done it, and you're speaking from that experience, place of experience. It also explains why, Alan, I've got zero funders for my chocolate teapot project on Kickstarter. <laughs> 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 but um, mo- moving on, because I'd love to talk about th- the pillars and the pillars overlaid on this. So we've talked about digital currencies, Bitcoin, the problems, the solutions. But you also give basically a guidebook how to do this properly in this book both for a startup that's not in digital currency space an sme as well so this book is written for small business owners as well that can't afford consultants for example it'd be great to talk about the four pillars quickly alan at a high level and then talk about how you're applying them to denotes your latest project i believe that the principle of running a successful business are the same no matter whether you're a small company, big company, whatever industry that you're involved in, the principles are the same. However, if you ask management consultant, what is it that's going to be important? If you ask businessmen, what are important in your business? They would give you a very, very long list. And I concluded that, yes, I do agree that There are many things that are important, but what are the most important component that if you manage them, if you become a master of them, you will greatly improve your chances of success in any business because those principles are very much the same. As a result of that line of thinking, I concluded that there are four major components or four pillars, and that include you, the founder, the leader, the CEO of your company. It is important in that if you want to start a business, you must have very clear vision. What is it that if your widest team would come true, what is your vision? What do you want that to be? In the case of Dinon, it's very simple. It would be the mass acceptance of Dinons as the digital currency in global commerce. So how do you do that? You've got to be able to inspire. You've got to lead. You've got to be able to show other people and be able to articulate your vision so clearly that they can understand and buy it. And what is the second thing? That is your idea. What is your great idea? That's digital currency. Why is it such a great idea? How can you differentiate so that DNOT becomes significantly different than the others? Because there are thousands of digital currency out there. How can you stand out to be the one to be the basic class. Don't just follow. Don't be a me too. If you come up with a product idea, you must be able to differentiate it. The next one would be your employee, your followers. How can you find the best fitting employee that are exceptional? How can you inspire them? You lead them. You are able to make them to be an extension of you. You don't have to be there every time because they think like you. They almost talk like you. They know what is it that we all need to do as a group in order to be able to realize that vision. Those tie in a lot of objective, a lot of mission and so on. Ultimately, you have to be able to define a path so that everyone can follow it in any diversion. Either you know it or your employee will know it. And the last one would be your customer. You are in business for your customer. After all, if there are no customer, you wouldn't even be in business for long. So it is very important that 
every single customer experience must be a great experience. In the case of DNOT, who are our customer? Our customer, our stakeholder. We have to make sure that our stakeholder would trust DNOT. They believe in our mission. They understand our vision because together, that's how we can get there. And they are the one. If they are impressed enough, they're convinced enough, they will help us to spread our gospel, our ideology, so to speak. Because we can think of or claim a lot of world-changing implication. I cannot do it alone. Neither can we do it alone with a small group of people. We want everyone to be working together. Now, why did I write the book? Is to help small business startup, current company, it doesn't matter. Anyone who believe in improving their business success will find the book to be very helpful. But in the case of Dinos, it is a very big whole idea. And that idea becomes the vision for not only the employees and to carry them through, but it becomes what everybody buys into. And what I loved what you said in the book, talking about any business, is that many businesses live in fear, but the fear is driven by ignorance and a lack of knowledge. And that when they have that knowledge, which you give them in the book, it changes the game because they know what they're not doing as well as what they're doing or what they're doing poorly or what they're doing well. But also, I loved what you did with D-Notes then, that you took that and you went, okay, well, we're going to apply that pillar to the community as well, the crypto community, the people who invest in D-Notes, the people who use D-Notes. You're going to create a community vibe, a community culture where they are given all the knowledge and all the information they need, and that in turn creates a trusted brand. That is absolutely correct. It was bad enough for me to take on a massive project at the time of my retirement, but I felt that I have to add one thing to it. I want everyone to be using the same guidebook. How could I do that? Okay. If I were to continually pause or talk to everyone, this is the way to do it. Here are the guiding principles. I would have no time to sleep. Quite frankly, over the last four and a half years, I typically spend 12 to 14, even 16 hours a day. And one day it dawned on me, if I can put down a lot of the guiding principle, a lot of the principle that would help small businesses, big businesses, it's the same. The principles are the same. Why don't I write a book to help all the other people, but make it the guidebook for denotes because it's a very complex, it's a, massive project of global scale, then if we all follow the same Bible, the same guidebook, the same blueprint, then we'll be thinking alike. We know what to do. The community would now be able to develop what I would call a united single culture for DNOT. We are an entity, a global community of trusted people who are committed to world-changing positive implications so that everyone worldwide can benefit from it. We have defined one path, not two, not three. It's a very straight path to the realization of our vision. The vision of DNOT is to be an inclusive, trusted digital currency that can be used to supplement fiat currency worldwide, that it will benefit anyone and everyone, whether they're rich or they're poor. That's what the whole thing is about. That, but building trust, 
building a solid foundation, it cannot happen overnight. You cannot buy trust. You got to earn it over a long period of time by being totally consistent, totally reliable. You have to prove that you're trustworthy over and over and over again. But once you have developed, you have earned that trusted blend, it becomes invaluable. Once the global community know exactly what DNOTS is about, then DNOTS will be the digital currency that would gain mass adoption. Once that happens, a lot of the transaction will be between two parties. The bank doesn't have to get involved and get a cut of the transaction fee. We can provide direct online lending where the, the interest or the compensation for another party to use the excess amount that another party may have can be very minimal. You can also use digital currency in charity. You can sponsor anyone. We just announced an amazing program that would allow us to accept microtransactions for as little as 10 cents a quarter, if you will. Why? Because when that transaction is between two parties, there's practically no fees, just a small amount of fees in order to support the blockchain. That is going to be world changing. That's going to be disruptive. But all that will not happen if we are out to scam other people, like a lot of the ICO. It trust and inclusiveness are the key to mass adoption of digital currency. That is how it can be truly disruptive. That is how Shatoshi Nakamoto's original vision of being able to disrupt our current financial and banking system could take place. You talk about this being in it for the long term equals trust. And just to add, I mean, there's so much in this book, but you, you have a dedicated long-term commitment from stakeholders. So they're not in to make a quick book. And you made sure with that, with the investors and the stakeholders in the company, you also created Crypto Moms, which is committed to encourage and assist women's participation in digital currency ecosystem. And there's also DCE Brief, which is um, is Dino's way of educating people, and that's that's open to the public, right? That where people can go and learn more and more. Absolutely, and we also have Dino's EDU, which is quite an amazing GAM project, and it's all funded and supported by volunteers, which is even more more impressive. Dino's is probably the most undervalued digital currency because if people want to look at DNOTS as a digital currency, they, they just cannot understand it. They cannot understand why we have crypto moms, we have DNOTS wall, we have DC beef, we have DNOTS EDU, and a lot more to come. The reason for that is we want to make sure that we have a fully integrated ecosystem, which is part of what I mentioned in my book. It's not one thing. In order to be successful, you cannot be just good at one thing. You have to be good at many different things. You cannot be controlled by other people. You have to make sure that as a group, you are very self-sufficient. That is what denotes Denotes Global is all about, is to make sure that eventually we have a fully integrated system, not just a digital currency. And when it comes to the technology itself, we waited for three years so that we have time to observe, to make sure that we know what are pitfalls are, what are the problems, what are the challenges. Denotes, Denotes Global is all about solving problems, solving real-world problems in order to make sure that the digital currency itself is 
very useful, it's beneficial, not for the rich or for the people who are familiar and comfortable with technology. It is meant for everyone. And I would also add that any small company, small businesses should learn as much as they can. Knowledge is going to be very helpful. It's not that complicated. Find the trusted group and learn from them and start using it because it will give you the competitive advantage. Digital currency is the future of money. Whether we believe it or not, it's going to happen, just like the early days of the internet. I believe that this is a generational opportunity and it's going to be bigger than the internet and it will result in massive job and wealth creation. For early adapters, including small businesses, it will give you competitive advantage to go forward. That's fantastic. And to bring it full circle, like you said at the start, knowledge is key and this is a way to get knowledge. Where can people find out more, Alan, about D-Notes and about maybe investing in D-Notes, etc.? D-Notes website is dnotscoin.com. Since we launched the second generation of D-Notes, that's called D-Notes 2.0, we are listed in a number of smaller exchange and market com is one of them. Stock exchange is another. Their numbers are all you need to do is go to dnotscoin.com. Everything is being listed there. If you like to know more about Dnots Global, it is best to look up for our website and read our white paper. If you still like to know more about the book, uh, which I think would be invaluable, especially for those who are currently in business and like to do better. You go to four pillars of businesssuccess.com. It's F-O-U-R, pillars of businesssuccess.com. And if you're an entrepreneur, studies suggest there's an 80% chance that your company won't survive for more than 10 years. Imagine what that's like in a nascent, undiscovered, uncharted territory of digital currency. And this book, and hopefully this podcast, will give you a head start in how to approach it. Author of Improve Your Odds, The Four Pillars of Business Success, and co-founder and CEO of Dnotes Global, Alan Young, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.